Welcome to episode 108 of Telepractice Today with Kim Dutro-Allen and Dr. Todd Houston. And as we start this episode, I just wanted to mention that we had a guest that had an emergency at the last minute and we could not do the interview. So Kim and I discussed replaying an interview we had with Jill Shook, one of the great SLPs and also someone who's quite knowledgeable about telepractice. And so here's an earlier interview that we did with Jill Shook. So, Jill Shook, welcome to the podcast. Would you like to introduce yourself just for a moment? Sure. Um, Hi, guys. My name is Jill Shook. I'm a speech-language pathologist in Pittsburgh. I have a private practice uh, that I've had for about five and a half years now, uh, where I offer uh, in-person and teletherapy services. So, Jill, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into telepractice? Well, um, I kind of got into telepractice uh, like a lot of people recently have gotten into it, except a while ago. Um, I had a client who moved uh, outside of my service, my in-person service area, and we wanted to keep, you know, doing therapy. So um, we, I looked into options, and this was about four years ago. So this was before a lot of people really got into teletherapy. Um, really knew what it was really. So I, uh, I was looking into different options and I ended up, um, you know, choosing a platform and figuring out the laws in Pennsylvania. Um, and that kind of gave me a basis for, um, the telepractice that I established. And then I've, you know, been seeing other clients, uh, since then, uh, via telepractice as well. And how long have you been, how long have you had your private practice? So I've had my practice overall for about um, almost six years, um, and I've been doing, you know, teletherapy for four of those years. So for the majority of my private practice I've had, um, I've been doing teletherapy. So Jill, are you seeing mostly clients in Pennsylvania? I am. Uh, my clients are primarily in Pennsylvania. Um, I am licensed in California as well, uh, but I have been... Um, not pursuing many clients there just because of the the um, the tax questions that can arise when you uh, see clients in a different state. Um, so I've been primarily seeing clients uh, all over the Pennsylvania, all over the state of Pennsylvania. Um, many of them are in Pittsburgh, but in the last say six months or so, um, I've seen people from um, outside of Pittsburgh as. Um, people who are looking for therapy are um, becoming aware that you can see, you know, a teletherapist from anywhere in your state. So uh, I've been able to kind of use that um, kind of cultural shift uh, to the advantage of seeing more clients. Is your practice mostly children or really across the lifespan? Uh, It has in the past been primarily children. Um, I'm in the process of becoming a Medicare provider, Um, so I will be seeing more adults. Um, I don't know if you're, it can be a little confusing when you get to, um, seeing adults because of the requirements with Medicare that you can't see them, uh, via private pay if they are, if they do have Medicare. Um, so, uh, again, I've tried to see primarily, um, kids and now I'm seeing a lot more adults as well. And what would you say are some of your favorite um, materials or resources that you go to or recommend for other telepractitioners? Um, Well, I definitely uh, 
use just a lot of um, plain PDFs that I can just pull up on the screen. Um, when I'm looking for, when I, when I was looking for a teletherapy platform, I knew that I needed a screen sharing capability just so I can show, you know, the client um, something on the screen. Um, so we can do worksheets, we can look at, um, uh, we can look at all different types of worksheets and activities, and that really helps. Um, so I always recommend using um, like PDF uh, worksheets. And then um, I love boom cards. I'm pretty sure everyone um, has heard of those by now. Um, not so much in January, but I think everyone has has heard of them now. Um, I really like using those. Um, there's so many, so many different options you can use for those now. Um, even when you have clients whose internet may not be the best, um, which I found, I would love to use more videos uh, in therapy. And I know a lot of people do, but I have a lot of clients who are in rural areas and don't have good internet speed, which kind of nixes videos because um, we're watching like two different videos as it just kind of has the circle of the spinning circle of uh, loading um, on it. So I, I kind of nixed using videos, but I love using boom cards. I love using, um, you know, PDFs and, and screen sharing like that. Um, I've, I've really been impressed with how well I can modify um, and many of the materials that I have, um, be they digital or uh, using a document camera um, for use in teletherapy. So along with that, how did you go about um, picking a platform that you wanted to use? What were some of the things that you considered? Oh, um, so I considered a lot of different um, options. When I first started, I just kind of started trying uh, different platforms. I just kind of Googled like teletherapy platforms. Um, again, this was like uh four and a half years ago. Um, and so I, I tried like um, quite a few different ones. I definitely wanted screen share. Uh, when I began, I thought I wanted um, like games and um, different activities that were part of the platform. But as I use those, I found that they're not something that I necessarily need. Uh, there are so many other options that you can use that don't have to be part of your platform. So um, I didn't really consider those something that I that I absolutely have to have. Um, and then I learned, you know, kind of through trial and error that you also want to, um, you also want to see, uh, how difficult the platform is for, you know, the client to use. Um, so there are some where, you know, the client has to, um, log in and has to, you know, create their own login, or they have to download a whole bunch of, um, software and any, any extra step other than just clicking a link is another barrier to, to a lot of people getting to teletherapy. Um, so those have been, you know, big, big things that I've kind of highlighted when I looked for myself. Um, and I also, um, on my website, I've, I've published, um, blog posts. And then I also have a comparison chart of a whole, a whole bunch of different, um, teletherapy platforms. I think oh, 11 at this point, um, that list them by, um, whether they can do screen sharing, whether they allow, you know, the client to, you know, control, uh, the mouse on their end, whether the, um, client has to create their own login or if they can just log in from a link, um, whether they have games, you know, kind of embedded in it and that sort of thing. Um, so I just kind of looked for what I needed in a platform and then kind of codified it into, into, um, a comparison chart for other people to use too. That's great. And where do, where can people find that chart? Um, it's on my private practice SLP website. Okay. So it's just private practice SLP.com. Somehow right. that name was not already taken when I went to sign up for it. So, um, yeah, it's privatepracticeslp.com. It's right in the the freebie library there. Awesome. Well, you know, it's. I think you're the first person to mention that you really should take into consideration 
the ease of the client, you know, how, how easy is it for the client to actually access the platform? And no one really thinks about that. They think about all the features that they want and then, you know, that's what they decide on. But I think you make an excellent point. If it goes, you know, if you have to do something beyond just clicking that link, you probably lost them or you potentially could lose them. Yes. Yeah. And like you were saying, um, whether you're working with, you know, children, because in general, that's the parent who's trying to log them in. And usually, you know, they're a parent, they've got either the one child that you're working with, or they have other siblings, and they're trying to log you in as their kids are climbing on them, and they're trying to figure it out. Or, you know, you have an adult, and sometimes with older adults, you know, they don't know how to use the computer more than just kind of clicking a link in an email. Um, So you want to make sure that, yeah, everything is very straightforward to get them to even access you know, the teletherapy that you can offer them. Yeah. And I feel like with, you know, in private practice, your parents are kind of like very motivated because they're, they're paying for this service privately. But I found with my schools, especially if there was a barrier on top of, you know, the um, services changing, being hard on them anyways, if there Mm -hmm. was any kind of barrier, they kind of would use that as a, well, I couldn't get it to work, so I just gave up because being at home is hard anyways. Oh, <laughs> yeah. from home is hard anyways. Yeah, that you definitely, especially nowadays, that um, that baseline you have of, of how much you can handle. And, I mean, I get that. I'm a parent, too. Right. You know, you're like, okay, if I have to do one, if I have to do two steps, two steps is too many. I could do one right. step. <laughs> but having to log in and then, you know, download something, I can't do it. It's already too hard. Yeah. Um, so, Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that. It's um, you definitely have to think about that, especially like you know we've mentioned nowadays because we're all operating on kind of fewer cylinders and you know a lot more stress, <laughs> um, especially as the school year gets started um, and kind of transitioning into whatever the school year is going to look like. Yeah, that's that's always my motto: is make it easier on the parents, make it as yep. as simple as possible. Yep. And I like how you also talked about how you have to consider not only your internet speed where you're at, but the internet speed where your kids are at. Because I've had, you know, great things, activities planned. And then that even sometimes that boom card, if I don't share it in the right way, Mm -hmm. it takes forever to load and things like that. So yep, Mm -hmm. you have to consider that on both ends. Yeah, it's always fun when you're like, uh, the the platform that I use, um, I use GoToMeeting and I can um, see whether that I can see the screen that I'm sharing, but it doesn't always show what I'm actually like. I can see what I'm seeing, but I can't always see exactly what they see. Right. So you're always asking that question. Okay. Can you see this? Co- okay. Can you see this? Okay. Can you see that? Um, so yeah, I can, it's always, it's always fun, but it does work. Um, and it does work on a lot of, uh, descriptive language when you have the client describing things to you if you know it's not sharing correctly or they have to tell you what they can see on their screen because <laughs> you can't figure it out it's a language opportunity right it is yeah I'm just like oh it's everything's for learning we're just going to use this as a learning a learning time I know that one of the biggest concerns that people have when they think about a private practice and especially a private practice through telepractice mm-hmm. is thinking about um privacy issues mm-hmm. What what were your biggest hurdles with that, and what have you done to get around those issues? Okay, um, so when you talk about privacy, it's you know privacy as in security, and then also you know being HIPAA compliant or FERPA compliant. Yeah, is that what you're both. okay? Yeah. Both, <laughs> yeah, both because it it can be so confusing with schools because you know you do have FERPA, and then in a lot of schools 
most of them that I'm aware of, if the client has um, Medicaid, then that's HIPAA. Um, yeah. And you have to have, you have to be, you know, cognizant of that as well. Um, so when I started, I, I definitely only looked at platforms that would allow me to sign um, a BAA, a um, business associate agreement, which almost all of them will do that now with you um, at, at some level of the plan. I know with Zoom, you know, you have to pay for the the business or enterprise level of the plan in order for them to do that. But um, I, I won't, you know, use a teletherapy platform that, that doesn't allow me to sign that. Um, even though I know, you know, there has been some talk about since, you know, the CMS has kind of uh, waived some of the privacy requirements, you know, during COVID right now. Right. Um, and they have allowed, and they've kind of allowed some of those um, uh, kind of non HIPAA compliant platforms uh, to be used for the time being, um, I'm one of those people that I like, you know, kind of begin how you mean to go on. So if you're going to start with teletherapy, don't start using, you know, FaceTime or something like that. That's not considered HIPAA compliant. And then you're going to have to change later. Uh, just, you know, start with something that will sign a BAA with you because that tells you, yes, they understand what security is. And yes, they're willing to kind of, you know, be on the line with that and be, um, you know, be part of a contract for that as well. So, um, that was a long answer to the first part of your question with, with security, but I always sign a BAA, um, always make sure that I can do that. Um, they, all of them now, all of the teletherapy platforms that I'm aware of now do have, um, like a lock meeting function where you can kind of, um, kind of lock the meeting down and not allow anyone to enter it, you know, while the meeting is in session, uh, which is very helpful um, to kind of keep, you know, you've heard of, what do they call it, like Zoom hacking or Zoom crashing or something where people will kind of just log into your, show up in your Zoom room or whatever, your teletherapy platform room. Um, so that kind of keeps that from happening. Um, and then I always have clients sign um, a teletherapy informed consent. So I send it to them and they sign it. And then, you know, we'll talk about it as well during the first session or, or before if I can schedule a time that would work for all of us. It's hard enough to schedule the one session time. Trying to schedule anything on top of that can be difficult. But um, if we can't talk about it beforehand, I always talk about it during the first session. Like, this is what teletherapy means. Um, you know, this is how it works. Um, this is how we're, you know, using, uh, this is how we're keeping, you know, things, the, your privacy secure. So using a BAA, locking the room, not giving out a link to everyone, um, that sort of thing. So um, I've, there's a list of things that I'll do to make sure that the, uh, the rooms stay kind of secure and that the parents are aware of, you know, what to do as well. So Jill, as you talk about your private practice, you also consult with others who are also trying to set up a private practice. I do, yes. So would you mind discussing how someone would uh, get in contact with you, probably, I would assume, through your website, but then what kind of services would you then provide? Oh, sure. Um, so, yes, people usually find me through my website, um, which is privatepracticeslp.com. Um, and I have a lot of uh, blog posts on there that are helpful and a lot of free resources. Um, like I'd mentioned, my teletherapy um, platform comparison chart. I have a comparison chart of like EMRs, um, if you're looking into that. Um, and I also offer, you know, private consulting if you are wanting to start a, a private um, practice 
um, whether it incorporates teletherapy, uh, which I think we, we kind of all are now, um, or whether you're doing in person or if you're trying to contract with schools, uh, that sort of thing. Um, so I will, I kind of walk people through and guide them through that whole process of starting up a, a private practice. That's great. There's, you know, I don't think there's a lot of people out there doing that, uh, that I've, that I've seen. Uh, so it's much, uh, very much needed these days. It is. Yeah. I get a, I get a lot of um, people who, you know, whether they had just started a private practice or they have been thinking about it and now they're kind of having to pivot a little bit and think about teletherapy. Um, I'm, I'm happy to, to add that because, uh, I don't know how you guys have seen it, but in the past, it kind of seemed like teletherapy was a little bit of like the redheaded stepchild of the, the whole uh, settings, <laughs> the speech therapy settings. You were like, oh yeah, like, and a lot of people get like, I mean, from, from, from uh, parents and clients, I'll get that too. They're like, oh, teletherapy, like, well, are you going to charge less? Cause it's not really real therapy. Um, and I mean, I've gotten that from people and I love being able to advocate for our profession to be like, no, it's, re- it's actually real therapy. We are being real, real therapists. Um, it's just through a screen. Um, and we do re- actual real life stuff and it's not um, kind of less than in-person therapy. Um, so I love being able to, to advocate for that and, and show other SLPs that yes, if you start your, your practice the correct way, you don't have to worry about people thinking of it as, as less than, um, or, uh, kind of, you know, like an off-brand version of, of speech therapy. So that's why I'm so big on, on security and stuff, because, you know, someone calls you on, uh, your therapist calls you on FaceTime. You're not going to think it's as professional as if they, you know, used a different platform that was specifically, um, meant for teletherapy. That's right. What are some of the other things that you've told families to kind of sell the idea of teletherapy? I know a lot of them were kind of forced into it with yeah. <laughs> the current changes, but for those that, cause I've had some that have contacted me and then I've been like, well, I'm only seeing people through teletherapy and it, they're hesitant. So mm-hmm. what are your tips of what you say to them? Yeah. Um, so it is helpful now, uh, like you were saying, uh, that people even know what teletherapy is because, you know, in the not so uh, distant past, many people didn't even know what that was. Um, they didn't know teletherapy was an option um, even at all. So to help them kind of get their wrap their mind around it, uh, one, I always highlight the, the convenience aspect of it um, because even though, you know, when I see clients in person, I, I go to them. I'm a mobile therapist. Um, in a lot of areas of the, the country, that's not, a, that's not an option, you know, if you're really rural or that sort of thing. So um, it's really convenient for people who are there or just people. Um, I have a lot of clients who have, you know, multiple kids and they're like, I'm not putting my five kids in the car to go somewhere and sit for half an hour <laughs> and then come back. Um, so I always highlight the convenience of, um, of that and how you can uh, kind of work it around your schedule. Um, and then, you know, I, I link them to the, the ASH information on teletherapy and how, um, they have actual studies like research studies that show that it is, you know, just as effective as in-person therapy. Um, and you know, how we are, uh, qualified to, to give therapy, uh, via this medium. And I really, um, highlight to them that it's not like, like I said, like less than therapy, it's the same therapy. It's just, you know, through, through the medium of a screen. Um, so it's not going to, you know, be that different than if they're used to seeing therapy in person or if they're used to their, their um, child getting it in school. Uh, it's pretty much the same. It's just, you know, through that different medium. 
I found um, a lot of parents will ask me specific, well, my child, you know, is under three or my child is in preschool or my child has autism. Mm -hmm. Will it work for them? And what I usually tell them is, I don't know, let's try, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. let's give it a shot. Um, We got nothing to lose kind of thing. So that's the other thing that I've um, pitched it as let's just try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've had a, a couple of clients that, you know, you were like, eh, maybe we'll see. And then it worked really great for them because for some reason they disconnected with that, um, you know, the pace of it and they really enjoyed seeing things digitally and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, you never know. You can look through, I mean, Ashta has a good, um, list and then, you know, you could really just like Google, like list of, um, requirements for teletherapy and kind of see who good candidates for teletherapy would be and kind of go through that, um, to see who would be, you know, a good, a good candidate for this medium. Yeah. And I would say a lot of kids that might not be a good candidate, to just sit in front of the computer by themselves Mm -hmm. could be a great candidate through parent coaching or coaching. Mm -hmm. Yes. There's, I feel like there's very few that I would clients that I would count it out for. Yes. Yeah. You do. You do have to, um, I would say that is one thing that to, to talk about what you had said earlier, when I talk to parents about it, I do say that, you know, Hey, this isn't just like, we're not like a rotisserie chicken. You can't just set us and forget us, like leave your kid there in front of the computer and then come back in half an hour. Um, You have to, you you know, you're going to be involved in this. You're going to be helping. Uh, This is kind of a family, um, a a family activity. Um, So you need to be able to do that. And some parents are like, you know what, I just can't like, you know, I'm a single parent or I, you know, they have any sort of reasoning for that. And that's totally fine. You can, you know, figure out another option for them Um, because, that that's definitely something you don't want to do is try to get them uh, doing teletherapy. If you already know, it's not going to be the best option for them Yeah. Um, because that just gets everyone frustrated. And then they kind of had to have a bad taste in their mouth about it. So if you're, you know, upfront with people and tell them that um, they don't like sit down and then you like see the kid and it's almost like the cartoon um, where there's like smoke behind them. Like they plop the kid down in front of the TV and then smoke as the parent like leaves the room. Um, <laughs> It's, they know they're going to sit there. Um, they don't have, you know, that expectation in their head where they're just going to, you know, put the kid in front of the TV and like peace out for half an hour. Yeah. 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 I like you're setting yourself up for success by, mm-hmm. you know, making sure they, that they know the expectations yes. and that you know kind of what to expect from the child too. Yes. Great. I think setting, yeah, I think that's the key is setting those expectations from the beginning uh, is, mm-hmm. is critical. And, you know, I work a lot with kids that are under the age of three. So my focus is really very heavily on parent coaching. And and so basically, they're just not allowed to leave the child. Yes. <laughs> um, and what I have found, and others may disagree with me on this, but what I have found is that in many of these cases that telepractice is actually better than in person because of that built-in requirement of parent coaching for those little ones. Um, and I think, you know, some professionals who do work with, you know, at the early intervention level may think they've been doing parent coaching when they've just been, you know, direct services to the child while the parent watched. 
Mm-hmm. And then they assume the parent understood how to do all this stuff, you know, <laughs> how to be a language facilitator, how to reinforce all of these uh, different techniques and strategies just by watching. And, mm-hmm. and I think once we get into telepractice and now the professional is really forced to do the coaching and then the parent really has to follow through, you know, it makes, makes it very different. And I think some professionals have probably learned the hard way that maybe what they were doing before wasn't exactly focused on parent coaching. It was more on direct services while the parent watched. And now they're having to go back and say, okay, how do I move this parent along this continuum to be a better language, you know, to use better language or be a better language model for their child? So it's been an interesting process to watch with some professionals that are out there based on the questions I get sometimes and, and uh, other comments I, I get. Yeah, Todd, I think that's a, that's a really great point. Um, I think to, to draw on that, you know, I've tele, teletherapy has made me a better therapist because, you know, you have to be so um, intentional about, you know, what you're, what you're doing, um, you have to, you know, make sure you have all your materials set up ahead of time um, because you can't just let the kids sit there while you're like, oh, clicking through and, you know, trying to make sure you're at the right place um, because, you know, you've lost them. Um, so, yeah, tele- teletherapy has made me a better a better practitioner because I've been able to uh, become more efficient. Um, and especially now that I'm a parent, I, I really think like, you know, how can I communicate this so that this parent is going to understand and, you know, how, how do I get them involved in that? Um, so that I, you know, they can remember, cause I know for myself, you know, I go to the pediatrician with my daughter and they tell me this whole long laundry list of things to do. And before we walk out and get our lollipop, I've forgotten what, <laughs> what that was. So um, I definitely, you know, do what you're saying and really get the parent involved and be like, okay, show me how you know how to do it. Right. First tell me and then show me because I want to make sure you can do it. So that's a good point. You know, I was I was reading something the other day. Have, have you heard of the I do, you do, we do strategy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and and that kind of uh, model in a sense of, but it, it just goes back to modeling, you know, handing it off to the parent, watch them, coach them, and then, you know, make sure they're on the right track. Yep. So those are great strategies. Well, Jill, do you have any other um, advice or uh, that you could share about telepractice that some of our colleagues who are either forced to jump into this or are jumping into this area of practice uh, in terms of how to get started or just big words of wisdom that you <laughs> relay to them? Um, I'm not sure if I, I would call it wisdom, but I do have words of experience, um, words of, of learning it the hard way. Um, I think the, at least the way that I've seen the best way to look at, at telepractice is, um, don't think of it so much as an entirely, you know, different therapy. Just think of it as a different setting. Um, so people are like, oh no, you know, can I use this during telepractice? They think, you know, they need a whole different set of materials. They need a whole different mindset of how to do it when 
like I had mentioned earlier, you know, some of my favorite materials I can share with a document camera and use the same books I've always been using. Um, I could pull up the books um, as a PDF. Um, you know, you can use many of the same materials that you would use in person um, via teletherapy. So thinking of it as something so completely different and foreign can make it a lot more complicated, I think, than it needs to be. Um, just think of it as, you know, a, a different method of providing the therapy that you've always provided. Uh, and I think that that helps a little bit, or I hope that helps a little bit with kind of the, the overwhelm of, of feeling like teletherapy is just completely foreign and different. Well, I think, I think that is words. So those are words of wisdom. So thank you for sharing. <laughs> so for people that want to contact you, it's privatepracticeslp.com. Yes. And I wish you all the best as you continue on and good luck with everything that you you have in store for yourself and, and your clients and everyone else that you're working with. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. So make sure you check out Jill's website at privatepracticeslp.com and work with her if you need to. Uh, I think she's a wonderful telepractitioner and speech-language pathologist, and she has so much to offer. And thank you for tuning in and listening to today's episode. For those of you who are staying with us until the end here, I mentioned that course earlier. If you go over to 3cdigitalmedianetwork.com and use a special coupon code, 3C10, you can get an extra 10% off of the telepractice course that I mentioned earlier. So please take advantage of that. And also, thank you for listening. Please leave us a five-star review. That helps us to attract new subscribers and to grow the program and to extend our reach, which is very important. And we'll be back again next week with another episode. And until then, this has been a production of the 3C Digital Media Network. 